0: Well, I want to welcome everyone here this morning. It's uh, I'm really glad that you were able to join us. I also want to welcome everyone who's watching online. We have all kinds of different people who watch online every weekend, and so I'm really glad that you're able to tune in with us as well. Uh, for the uh, series today, we're just continuing through the book of Colossians. Uh, if you missed last Sunday, Pastor Aaron had the chance to introduce me. My name is Caleb. I'm serving temporarily on staff here and i'm really excited to be here i've heard amazing things about this church and i love the sheridan area i'm very excited to be able to get to know each one of you guys and so if we haven't had the chance to meet please feel free to come introduce yourself after the service i'd love to be able to chat with you Uh, so we're yeah continuing the series through colossians and if you're following along with me in your bible we'll be in colossians chapter one starting right at verse 24 we underestimate How much of our of our daily lives is determined by what we believe our ultimate future is? What we believe our ultimate future is Determines how we live our lives now And so today I want to look at how the christian hope gives us the ability to face and handle suffering and death in our lives right now Back in paul's day He wrote to a lot of different believers and a lot of different congregations that had a whole lot of suffering going on. They they had it rough. They had a tough, tough life. It it was hard for them back in their day. Not like it is today. Back then, not really like it is today. Today, life's easy. No problems. No challenges. No obstacles. No tensions. No mean people. Economy's always good eggs are always cheap you know no political division it's easy today but back in paul's day they had persecution and poverty and sickness and death all around them every single day and so paul spends a lot of time writing to them how do you deal with this in a healthy way and he helps them to understand that the bible takes a very realistic approach to suffering it doesn't sugarcoat it at all but what it does do is it gives us the tools to deal with that and getting real with you guys now there's a lot of people in the room today who are hurting it could be for you you just went through a breakup or a divorce and you're drowning in heartbreak you don't know when you'll feel joy again you don't know if you will at all or maybe for you you're dealing with a physical disability And you don't know how you're going to manage to be happy with your body deteriorating the way it is. Or it could be, for some of you, you're getting sick. Maybe you were just diagnosed with cancer. And you don't know if the chemo is going to work. You don't know if you're going to get through it. Some of you, it could be you're fighting an addiction right now. And it's ruining your life. And it's ruining the lives of everyone around you. could be you recently had the death of a loved one and you don't know how you're going to get by without them and if you haven't recently faced the death of a loved one I can confidently say there is death in your future I'm sorry on this lovely summer day to be such a downer but we got to get real because it's coming I mean, look around you. We're all getting older. Every single one of us, we're getting older. Look at your loved ones. Look at your friends. Look at your family. Either you'll face death yourself one day, or you'll live a long time, and you'll face the death of everyone around you. And so I think I can say without fear of contradiction, there is death, and there's going to be pain, and there's going to be heartbreak in your future. But Christianity gives us a way to deal with that. Christianity gives us actually I think a very unique tool that no other culture and no other religion on earth has And so we're going to look at that Uh, I'm reading out of colossians chapter 1 and we'll start right in verse 24 and paul gives us this Amazing tool to be able to deal with that. He says i'm glad when I suffer for you in my body for I'm participating in the sufferings of Christ that continue for His body, the church. Right off the bat says, right off the bat, Paul says, "I'm glad. I'm glad I'm suffering, and it hurts and it's painful, and yet I rejoice." And then, and then he says, "I'm participating in the sufferings of Christ." Another way of saying that would be, "I'm following the pattern of the sufferings that Jesus went through. I'm being like Jesus when I suffer in this way is what he's saying but then he Talks about his church. He says it's going to continue It's going to continue for the body of christ. It's going to continue for his church It's going to continue for me. It's going to continue for you guys That suffering he's saying is inevitable. It's going to happen We got to be ready to deal with it He continues God has given me the responsibility of serving his church by proclaiming his entire message to you this message was kept secret for centuries and generations past but now it's been revealed to god's people for god wanted them to know the riches and glory of christ are for you gentiles too he's saying there's a secret it's been revealed for a long time for centuries and generations there's been this secret and now it's finally been revealed in christ and here's the secret christ lives in you this gives you assurance of sharing his glory Christ lives in each one of us and because of that we're assured of sharing in his glory. If you're reading along in your own Bible and you have the NIV translation, it would use a different phrase right there. It would say hope of glory. It would say hope of glory and so what we have here is an extreme balance. It's actually, it's amazingly balanced. Paul doesn't really emphasize one over the other. He says on the one hand it's hurting. We're suffering. It's it's devastating. It's enormously painful. He doesn't sugarcoat that. In fact, he even says you're going to continue to suffer But then on the other hand, he says we've got a hope of glory He says because christ lives in us we're assured of this future glory and we can look forward to that It's Amazingly balanced. He doesn't say that because we have a hope of glory. We don't hurt That's not the idea here. He acknowledges that pain He acknowledges the devastation of this world and the suffering that we're going to go through I think probably the most remarkable example of this Comes from Jesus When he's at the tomb of his friend Lazarus It takes place in John chapter 11 And at this point Lazarus has already died He's in the grave right now And the narrator starts telling us about Jesus' response It says when Jesus saw Mary weeping And saw the other people wailing with her A deep anger welled up within him And he was deeply troubled What have you put Where where have you put him he asked them They told him, Lord, come and see. Then Jesus wept. Jesus goes to the tomb, and it says that Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb. Jesus gets there. Lazarus has passed away. All of his his family and friends are, are weeping and wailing. And Jesus doesn't offer words of comfort. He doesn't say anything at all. All he does is weep. All he does is cry. And then he approaches the grave. And even though most English translations mute this, but the original Greek text literally says he was quaking with rage. Jesus was quaking with rage. He was grieving and he was angry. He was crying and he was mad. He knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead in just a minute. And yet he's crying out and he's quaking with rage. How could the Lord of this world be angry at something that's in his own world? And the answer to that question is Jesus could only have been angry at something in his own world if death and suffering are intruders. They're invaders in this world. This wasn't the original design. This isn't how it was supposed to be. We were meant for more than this. We were meant for something better. We were meant to last, not to die. Death, suffering, they're invaders. They're intruders. We live in a fallen and a broken world, and Jesus is crying out, and he's angry because this isn't the original design. This isn't what he intended. This isn't how it was supposed to be. We were meant to last, not to die. We were meant to be more and more beautiful, not more and more shriveled. Stronger and stronger, not weaker and weaker. More and more whole, not more and more broken, brighter and brighter, not fading. We were meant to last, not to die. And so Jesus cries out. He weeps. He quakes with rage at this this monstrosity. His approach to death and suffering is anything but stoic. And I think that actually presents a problem for us because in the average Christian church, Our approach to death and suffering is a stoic one. We we see someone screaming out. We see someone uh, deeply angry at the way things are. And, And you aren't expected to scream out. You aren't expected to be angry. You aren't expected to quake with rage. You aren't expected to weep and wail like they were doing in here. We see that and we go, there's a person without faith. There's a person who isn't looking forward to the resurrection there's a person who isn't looking forward to the hope hope of glory that we have there's a, a person who maybe needs a stronger christian to come into their life and jesus will have none of that jesus approached the death shows that death is a monstrosity. It's an invader in this world. And so he weeps, he wails, he screams out, he quakes with rage, he's angry about it. And we should be too. We should be too. We should never suppress those emotions. Uh, as soon as we start to suppress those emotions and not, uh, not let that, that anger and that grief out, it starts to kill something within us. It starts to be bad for our humanity because there's something in us deep within that knows that we weren't meant for this life, that we were meant for something better. We were meant to last. We were built for eternity. Ecclesiastes talks about how God planted eternity in the human heart. Every one of us knows we were meant for something better than this world. And so it's natural to cry out. It's natural to grieve. It's natural to be angry, to quake with rage. As soon as we start to suppress that, And ignore that desire within us, we start to demote humanity to something less than eternal. We start to say humanity was meant for a broken, fallen world. Instead of saying, no, 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 there's something better. So, grief, be angry, cry out, scream out, quake with rage. That's what Jesus did. It's an extreme balance. Because on the one hand, we'll grieve, but on the other hand, do it hopefully. That's the paradox that we've got to live in. That's, that's what Paul is getting at here because in the same paragraph, he says, we're going to suffer. It's going to happen. It's inevitable, but we have a hope of glory. Not to grieve, not to be angry, kills the humanity within us, but just to rage, just to simply rage, Is also bad for our humanity When we do that It makes us bitter It makes us hard It poisons us And so what we're going to do Is we're going to live in this extreme balance We're going to live in this paradox We're going to take that rage We're going to take that grief We're going to cry out in pain And then we're going to rub hope Deep into it And when you do that It makes you wise It makes you compassionate It makes you tender It makes you humble Not to rage Not to grief kills your humanity Just to simply rage Just to simply cry Is bad for your humanity But rub the hope into that grief And you get wisdom We are going to take the stoic approach. We're going to cry out, but we're going to suffer, hopefully. We're going to live in the paradox that Paul has for us, because he knows something better is coming. He knows, and I want to talk about this hope of glory for just a minute, because really, when Paul talks about this hope he means it in a different way than we use the word hope a lot of the time. If I say I'm, I'm hopeful about something, it means maybe I'm kind of just wishing something would happen. So, if, for example, if I were to say, I-, I hope one day that I could be as good of a worship leader as Austin is, th- that is an absolutely far-fetched wish. If that ever happens, you know I'm in my future glory at that point because that's not going to happen. And yet, that's how we use the word hope. But that isn't what Paul means here. Paul means we're assured. Paul means it's certain that it's going to happen. I love Tim Keller's definition of hope. Tim Keller says that hope is a life-shaping, joyous certainty of something that's coming. It's a life-shaping, joyous certainty of something that's coming. In other words, we know it's happening. We know it's coming. That's why I love NLT uh, translation. It says we're assured of this future glory. We know that it's coming. If Christ lives in you, you know you're going to get to experience it. And so we're so excited for that, and we can look forward to that. I mean, that's amazing. We can praise God for that every day, because it's better than we can even imagine. Really, the unhappiest people, in my opinion, are the, are the people who are religious but don't understand the gospel. I mean, you have, you have people who are religious but don't understand the gospel, and then you got secular people. Secular people, they say, I don't know what's coming after death. So I'm just gonna live my life however I want right now. Religious people who don't understand the gospel, they say, Yeah, I think there's a heaven, but they think I don't know if I'll ever get in. And so they constantly try and earn it. Constantly in doubt about whether or not they'll experience this future glory. But that's not what Paul says here. Here he says we can be certain of it. It's assured, it's gonna happen. If Christ lives in you, it's happening. It's not just a far fetched wish. It's a joyous certainty. A life-shaping, joyous certainty. And so he's excited. That's how he can rejoice in his sufferings. That's how he can be glad here. I think C.S. Lewis helps us to capture kind of what this is that we can look forward to. He says, if we let him, he will make the feeblest and filthiest of us into dazzling, radiant, immortal creatures pulsing all through with such energy and joy and wisdom and love we cannot now imagine. He will turn the feeblest and filthiest of us into these immortal creatures pulsating through with energy and joy. We can't even begin to imagine how amazing it's going to be. Better than we can even begin to dream of. And that's what we know is coming. That's what we have to look forward to. That's why we can rejoice in our sufferings. That's why, yeah, we cry out, but we can rub some hope into that. Because we know that's coming. We can be sure of it because Jesus paid our debt on the cross. Because he took the wrath that we don't have to pay. That's why we never have to try to earn our way into heaven. That's why we can always be certain that it's going to keep happening. That's that we're going to get to experience that amazing amazing glory i think donald gray barnhouse helps us understand this best he was driving his kids to the funeral of their mother his wife and he's driving there and he points out this truck he says you guys see this truck they say yep we see the truck he says would you rather get hit by the truck or the shadow of the truck his youngest child answers he says the shadow of the truck And then Donald says, because Jesus was hit by the truck of death, your mother only has to go through the shadow of it. We only have to go through the shadow of death, because on the cross, Jesus defeated death itself. He defeated death, and he completely reversed its effects. Not only did he defeat death, he, he swallowed suffering. He didn't just remove suffering from our lives, he reversed the effects of suffering. That means everything we suffer now only makes our future glory better and better. We only go through the shadow of death. It's lost its sting. It's not something to fear. We mourn it, we grieve it, we cry out, we suffer. It hurts, but we don't fear it because we've got a hope of glory. Because we've got assurance, that we'll experience the glory. So what do we do with this? Well, really, a couple things quick. First, if you're here today and you aren't sure you believe in Christianity, or you maybe aren't even sure you believe in God, well, I've got a thought for you. C.S. Lewis wrote, if you really are the product of a materialistic universe, why don't you feel at home in a world where we die and disintegrate? Do fish complain of the sea for being wet? Or if they did, would that not strongly suggest that they were once not purely aquatic creatures? Why are we continually shocked and repulsed by death unless indeed something in us is not temporal? We aren't totally at home in this world. Doesn't that strongly suggest that we were made for something else, made for something better, made to last, made for eternity? Do fish feel wet? No. Then why do we feel uncomfortable ill at ease in this world that's filled with brokenness and fallenness and for those of you who are christian there's a couple things we can take away from this first off we ought to be a partying people because we know that's the future and so we ought to be celebrating that we got to be looking forward to that we got to be a bunch of partiers revelation paints this picture of a great feast uh, with the church between the church and jesus everyone is feasting And then Isaiah 25 says there's going to be great wine. Great wine, it says, that we can look forward to. And so we ought to be a partying people. We ought to be festive because we know that's what's in the future. And we also need to be a fighting people because the resurrection means that Jesus is against the brokenness, against the fallenness, against the poverty and disease of this world. And so we ought to be against it too. We ought to fight with everything we can. Every chance we get, we're fighting against the brokenness. We're fighting against the poverty and the disease that is all around us. We're a fighting people. So we're a partying people, and we fight. Let's pray.